Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about how men and women relate to each other in this modern age. My name's Neil. I am the comedian. We have subscriptions available, one, two, or three dollars a month. Plus, we have the option for us to answer one of your questions for $30. There's no ongoing subscription there. Uh, go to neilcolhacker.com slash podcasts. All the revenue raised from subscriptions will go straight to charity, the Life You Can Save charity. So it's a great cause. I have a weekly show in Sydney. If you haven't come to it already, come check that out. Every Thursday, 7 p.m. at the Potts Point Hotel. We're looking to live stream it soon. So... Subscribe to my Twitch, actually, because that may be where it's going to be live streamed. So twitch.tv slash neilcolhatkar. I think that's all the announcements I have at the, <laughs> at the top of the show. <laughs> yeah. How are you, Eliza? Yeah, good. Not too bad. How are you? What's been going on? Yeah, just the same old, same old. I feel like I need, I need a new adventure. I need something new in my life. Um, something a bit different. It's just been the same routine now for a while. Go down and get join a cult. Okay, I could make a cult like that other person said on make a cult. Yeah, a lot of people are claiming that we can be culty in our conversations. We can be culty. How so? I meant you, but I was being polite by saying we. Well, what are their What are their reasons? I can't what remember. Their... Oh, it was the friend wife. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is oh, yeah. that person missed the point of this. It was a how is there a better way to parent children and raise children? Yeah. Does there need to be a romance? Anyway, we won't go through that again. Don't get into that again, but uh, everything's a cult when you think about it. Literally. Everything. What's what's the difference between a friend cult and a relationship cult? Nothing. You worship the person and someone worships someone. Do you think in every relationship there's someone who holds (laughs) a bit more power? Are you just saying this because I made... (laughs) Uh, Potentially. (laughs) Um... uh, I think sometimes there can be a more dominant leaning one or a, a more mm. uh, decision making type person. So potentially, but yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we all know who that is in, <laughs> in your relationship. I was just telling Neil before that I man- I manipulated my boyfriend because he said um, he had pizza dough to make for pizza and I was like oh sad face but I really wanted spag bowl that's okay sad face and then he said okay I'll go get spag bowl ingredients <laughs> oh what I felt you, bad what what if, if if what would be the opposite yeah if you were like hey can we make spag bowl and he was like oh but I really wanted pizza sad face I'm really, oh we're would gonna have spag bowl <laughs> Uh, so it would be like a double, you both be <laughs> no, manipulating each other. No, I would just be like, okay, of course, anything for you. Mm, I don't know. But then you'd secretly like He'd deep never down, do those that. Will all, those will all build up. <laughs> he always likes the... And then when the he, dis- he, gets, he gets a quota of 100. <laughs> exactly. When he gets to you'll yell at him. I'll have it writing, written down the times and dates that I had to be lenient. And yeah, okay. And one day <laughs> you'll be like, hey, Adrian, can you, can you mow the lawn? And he's like, oh, I just sat down. And then it'll all come out. These are the 100 times I did this for you. And you can't do this for me. I think so. <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to uh, one of my followers that uh, messaged me. A few podcasts ago, I did a story. Well, I talked about my ethnic ex-girlfriend, but uh, I was talking about how ethnic relationships are often just way crazier than Mm. white relationships. And she sent me this story about an ex-boyfriend that 
after they'd broken up. I can't remember all the details, but thought it was a good idea to uh, just jack off in like some sort of urn and give it to her as a gift. <laughs> like, this is my semen. This is my gift semen. What? Yeah. But he genuinely thought, like, she'll love this. <laughs> this is such a good what? gift. Oh, my God. What, yeah. What did she do? Did you get? Did she tell you what she did? With oh, it? I, no, I didn't actually follow up. I just thought, oh, that. She should have used just... that for like black mad magic. You could sell that on the internet. You know who? Yeah, you've got his DNA. You could clone. Yeah, him. who knows? That reminds me of this one time I had my first boyfriend. Like three years into our relationship, I opened his drawer to get something, and he, I found a used condom on the box, and it was from the first time we'd ever had sex. <laughs> I was so disturbed. Ooh. I was I, like, let's uh... throw this one out, please. Uh, I guess I can kind of see sentimental. some sentimental value. He's a little but, Pisces. But, ooh, that's a that's a rough one. That's a bit of a yeah, a bit of plastic with because uh, those things don't age well sperm. after three years. So keep that in mind. Yeah, I can't imagine that would have been an appealing sight. Yeah, that that's like that scene in you where she finds all she finds teeth though. Oh yeah, of her dead friends. Well, you That's know a what extreme. a lot of people do is um, they put they put the placenta or umbilical cord into jewelry. Uh, or I love that. I'll do that. I hundred percent do that. <laughs> doesn't yeah. it go off? Because it's you know biological matter, doesn't it? Well, you you either consume it or you know these people consume have, it. Yeah, that's like the the single most nutritional thing that you can eat is a placenta that's where your baby gets its nutrients from and if anyone doesn't know that's kind of like the sack that a baby lies in Mm. um so when a woman gives birth she gives birth to the baby and then people don't realize they're like oh cool it's done but like 30 40 minutes later this is sack falls out that looks like a big jellyfish it's 30 it's 30 minutes later well it depends but yeah Oh, sometimes it's instant, sometimes it's like up to an hour. So. Does it come out as a sack or because I thought it just comes out as blood and just... No, sometimes it comes out as a full sack. So it literally will look like jellyfish has exited you. Interesting. What about if you have a cesarean? <laughs> yeah. Does it come out? It Well, what's interesting about a C-section is that when you take the baby out, you can take the baby out in the sack. So you could even put it on the table. Sometimes they do this and it's just still sitting in this beautiful little like placenta um and then they they cut it open and take the baby out i heard that uh the the bacteria in your microbiome is based on the first bacteria you're exposed to outside of the womb and if you have a c-section it's really important to swab the baby with you know the vaginal fluid yes it, it's that's the biggest part because nowadays 50 percent of pregnancies people are opting in for a c-section because it doesn't ruin your your poon so um <laughs> could have that's used a bit nice <laughs> nicer language there mm. um so people are opting in for it but there is a big perk of natural births which is that the vaginal fluids have a huge impact on their immune system and also mm. for shaping the baby's head. That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Unless they get vacuumed out, which in which case. It's obviously the natural way a human's supposed to come yeah. out. Yeah. I came out in a C-section, so I wonder what my bacteria Oh, uh, this all are. makes sense. It's from the <laughs> nurse's hands. Yeah. Well, the nurse they say. the hospital was. 
Like only 10-ish years ago, they would put a baby on your chest for like 20 minutes and like cuddle it and then um, for the birth, for the mum to cuddle it and then they go like wash it. Now they're saying everyone that is pregnant makes a birth plan. So you come to these things and agree. And they say the most optimal time is you actually don't bathe your baby for 24 hours. So you mm. leave it sitting and it's like the blood and juices for a whole day and it get, has the strongest immune system. So... The longer you can hold a baby closer to you, the better. Makes sense. We've got so yeah. many ailments and allergies now. Yeah, exactly. Our, I watched the world this... is too sanitized. Well, that's it. It's so bad. Like, let your kids go in the dirt and, like, eat grass and stuff. You know, eat it's... grass. That's what we all do. What sort of grass? <laughs> yeah. How just, much for hippie are you? Just... <laughs> yeah. How, your, how zen do you want your kids? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if people do that, dose their children just to keep them a little bit more docile, but probably. I haven't now come across that in my maybe. work, but they probably have done it. Cannot, it would not be. I can't imagine it'd be healthy for a, a child. No. Especially maybe a small not. dose. But No, don't microdose babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that. Don't get your baby high. No. Um, the, the science of the microbiome is really fascinating. Mm. There's this uh, popular book. It's in all the stores. It's a Clever Guts, Clever Guts Diet. Oh, Clever yeah. Guts, something I've like seen that. that. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. We've got billions and billions of little bacteria in our microbiome, mm. which is stomach, essentially. Mm. I don't know the exact science of this, but they are connected directly to your brain so a lot of your mood mm-hmm. and when they say when people say i have a gut feeling there's a, there's a yeah. legitimate science to that yeah. and based on the sort of food you consume it will it will you know uh, determine the the mood and you know mm-hmm. the effect on those billions and billions of bacteria and the only way to figure out what your makeup of bacteria is is through a stool sample so these people are like sending in stool samples halfway across the world Mm. just to figure out exactly what their diet should be that's it and like antibiotics can fuck up your gut bacteria and 95 Mm. or 93 i can't remember something in the the 90s 95 percent of your serotonin is directly developed from your gut so that's your happy hormone um so if you have a poor it's really hard because, you know, a lot of the kids that I work with in out-of-home care, they they usually have, or in child protection, very, very poor diets. It's really hard to tell parents, well, they're not going to be bouncing off the walls as much and going so being so unmanageable with, I guess, trauma, but also with their diet when they're being fed Coke for breakfast, cereals, and then Coke they're like, yeah, and they're like, oh, get this Damn. kid some Ritalin, he's got ADHD. And I'm like, no, it's sugar. It's so bad for children. Like I was lucky that I like, I mean, I love to dabble in a little bit of sugar or maybe a lot, but as a child at least, I never had any. Like my mom was so strict with food, mm. which is kind of shit, but probably a good oh, thing good in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I ate as a kid. <laughs> it's all it was that bad, but every day I'd get a little snack from the canteen, and when you're a kid, oh it's yeah, never, it's never the healthiest thing. Yeah. But compared to some of the other kids at my school, I was I was quite good. Yeah, I wasn't allowed canteen food. It was so sad. It was good in the long term, though. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good parenting strategy. I think uh, seeing what some of my peers at school ate on a daily basis and come home and always white bread, two-liter bottle of Coke always yeah. in the fridge. Uh, a healthy meal would be, you know, ham and cheese sandwich on mm-hmm. white bread. Wow. 
And you just think, ooh. I remember like being so <laughs> excited good. going to my friend's house and eating like, um, you, you know, Easy Mac? Yeah, 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 Easy Mac and white bread and chips because I'd get that like once a year. Like we were only allowed cereal on our birthdays. That's how like oh. rigid my mom, she wasn't rigid in the sense like I want my kids on a diet. Like she'll feed us every day. She, she would put like four meals out. Like she would have like a fish, a pasta, salads, potato salad, everything. And she was like, eat whatever you feel like. It was very like intuitive, but it was all homemade, healthy and good for wow. you. And then I went veggie at 12. Oh, um, well, well. Reaping in the good karma. Yeah. Thank you, Eliza's mom. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tanya. That's a great. Uh, so you got a buffet every day. Literally, yes. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, so, man. But now I, I still like to eat like Jealous. that, which is a bit annoying. Like I'd rather have like cook four different meals and have a little bit of each because if I have one of full meal aside from spag bowl, which is my favorite. <laughs> okay. I get like Being too overwhelmed. Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being in spag bowl. I mean, the meat's so realistic these days. You can't even tell the difference. Yeah. Well, I can't. It's been so long since I've had it, so I wouldn't even know. Oh, I no, it, it, it is. The fake meat, it, it, it tastes quite good and you yeah. don't get that heavy feeling afterwards. Yeah. Well, I accidentally ate real meat a few months ago <gasps> but i i couldn't tell because i was like well like it's obviously it's um vegan meat and then i was like wait i don't even think this place does fake meat how odd because it was like a vietnamese place and then i looked it up and they'd accidentally sent me the wrong thing and i felt so Oof. sick but to me it tasted the exact i couldn't tell like i couldn't be like five years ago when mm. i had accidentally had meat i could tell within a second straight away oh my god i've accidentally eaten meat now i can't tell mm. wow there you go become desensitized to it yes so yeah if you've got kids give them give them four food options every day yeah <laughs> and have them turn out like me <laughs> which oh. may or may not be good yeah, or you can do – we had a lot of takeaway, actually. It wasn't ideal. But it wasn't bad takeaway. It was you go to the fish shop or whatever and get, like, a fish and salad. Oh, so it wasn't, it wasn't Macca's yeah. every day. But, no, my diet wasn't amazing as a kid. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like I said, compared to the other kids at my local primary school, it was it was comparatively a lot better. Yeah. We'll say that much. So – do you know what's really hard though about being a parent, especially when it comes to food with the, I guess what I like about the way my mom did it with the, you know, the four meals that we would choose from is that we had choice and we could pick independently, but it was still that I don't get to say dictate, I want you to cook this for dinner or this for dinner, because a lot of parents will say, what do you want for dinner? Or what do you want to mm. do this tomorrow? And then people are very torn about whether or not you should tell your kids um, give them that choice and or if you should uh, increase independence by allowing them to choose. There's kind of like these huge pros and cons to both sides. So it's well, a tough balance. We're in a pretty privileged country and the fact that kids <laughs> so we can even do have that. food yeah. every day. Yeah. We're already ahead of 50% of the world. So uh, I think both options are fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Bigger but, fish to fry. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, yeah because if you kid because – There'd probably be a lot of pressure for them to when they're saying, "Oh, I want Maccas." This other kid at school gets Maccas, and 
Depends how strict you got to be, you know. You're gonna just yeah. Well, that's the thing is you gotta like, yeah. You can't roll I'm doing over this the for kids. You. Yeah. Okay. Eat your lettuce. You got to maintain that kind of <laughs> your like bowl of lettuce. Authority, not like well, just you got to maintain that you're the parent and this is a child. And if you give your child too much leeway with decisions, they're always going to have issues with authority. They're never going to be able to stay in a stable job long term. Like there's all these kind of things, but at the same point. Then on the other, on the flip side, when a parent's like, well, I'm just going to make all these decisions, then you have a kid that doesn't know how to make decisions for themselves. Yeah, it's such a, yeah. it sounds like such a minefield. Yeah. Like, I'm the sort of person I know I would overthink something like that. You would. Oh, no, I don't, yeah, I, don't, I just don't think I should be a parent. Yes, you would be a great. Maybe one day, you, yeah, but right how, now. Look I'll how just... thriving this cat is. She's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I adopted a good one. Yeah, she's cute. Maybe you can adopt a good kid. <laughs> there you go. Maybe it's, it's it's a long waiting list to yeah. It's adopt. adopting in Especially Australia good is ones. it's basically impossible these days. So yeah, yeah. Okay, well we've got a question here. Just before we get to this question, actually, I want to make an announcement. A lot of people are messaging Eliza, uh, asking for her therapy and for her response to various relationship problems. Now she's very happy to do that, but she also doesn't want to be impolite and say no. And she's very overwhelmed. She's working full time and she's all, she's in the process of potentially moving. So maybe just tone down some of the questions or don't expect a response. Yeah, you don't have to tone it down, but please be patient with me if I don't respond. I'm not, I don't, I hate coming across as rude. She's a professional relationship therapist and she's doing it for free. So, woohoo. <laughs> settle down. Thanks, Neil. Settle down, guys. <laughs> Okay, so this is a question from Jesse, and hey guys, I've seen quite a few episodes of your podcast and find so many of the topics you discuss to be so interesting. Thank you. Love to know in more depth about mummy slash daddy issues and how it can reflect and project into our relationships slash partnerships, and if you think that correlates with attachment styles, I think it does, mm-hmm. and if so, how slash why. Love you guys. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Jesse, and just another reminder, if you want to Ask a question, go to neilcolhatkercom slash podcasts. It's only 30 bucks and it goes straight to charity. But, uh, well, the classic trope of mummy-daddy issues comes from Sigmund Freud and Oedipus Complex. So mm-hmm. the, the psychoanalysis there was that we uh, grow up being jealous of the same-sex parent because they're sleeping with the opposite-sex yeah. parent. So we secretly resent our same-sex parent and whatever the relationship dynamic is we have with our opposite sex parent, that in, we subconsciously internalize that as our attachment and or love style. Mm-hmm. So that manifests itself in our romantic relationships in our future life. So, for example, if we're looking at, say, avoidance slash anxious attachment style, uh, if you have an anxious attachment style, it may have been because your opposite sex parent was absent, never really showed you any love and you felt like you always had to earn their love. Uh, on the on the flip side, if you have an avoidant attachment style, you may have been smothered or you may have unfortunately undergone something called emotional incest. And even just that term yeah. makes me feel so uncomfortable. But the very uh, sort of brief premise of that is that your opposite sex parent wasn't getting their emotional needs met by their romantic partner and therefore sort of used you as almost a surrogate to complain yeah. to and lean on and you felt like you had to take care of them. And therefore, you feel very stifled by any other emotional availability by um, future romantic partners. But obviously, Eliza is the expert, so that's just you nailed it. my little two cents <laughs> there. 
but uh, I'll let you take this one. Someone's very into this Oedipus oh, complex. Well, little... You know, I've, I've not so much now, but there was a while there where I read read up quite a bit on it. And when you learn about Freud, you're just like, what the? F-? Yes, like, and what? <laughs> and also, a lot of people will now discredit. Yes, not discredit, but say Freud's theories have been further developed, and mm. some may have been discredited. Uh, so that's just where the Oedipus complex came from. And I think Oedipus, uh, it's based on a, a character in Greek mythology, I think. Oedipus was someone who oh. ate, ate, ate something about his mother. Right. I don't know exactly. I, know that. I, th- yeah. I think, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, for those who don't know, Freud basically invented talk talk therapy. So he was he's the godfather of it, although now even that's being kind of... Anyway, but Mm. he's the one that made some of the most fundamental early research back in the day. Um, But I don't know. Have you ever looked into Carl Jung? Yeah. He's my favorite because he kind of took the the good parts of Freud's work and then did his own but with the very similar, um, I guess, ideas but took out the kind of hairy ones like you want to fuck your own parent subconsciously. So he left that one out. And he has a really strong focus on dreams, which I love. So... Mm. Um, that's, that's good. I think really cool. I'm like super into dream analysis. Yeah. 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 The main, uh, thing I know about Carl Jung is the idea of the sort of collective unconscious. Yeah. So the fact that all humans are connected by this grand collective unconscious and there's certain tropes and archetypes and characters that pop up in mythology all throughout cultures mm. across the globe. So there's a sort of intrinsic knowledge that we're all almost born with yeah, and that we have in common. And yeah. Jordan Peterson absolutely loves Carl Jung. Yeah. So he uh, articulates a lot of similar ideas. Very interesting, isn't it? I love Jung because he kind of gives kind of almost like Buddhism, but he gives a purpose to people's life and understanding. Like he would say the purpose of your life is to reach self-actualization, like to kind mm. of come above ego and and materialism and to realize the purpose of you being here and and yourself. So mm. very interesting things. But. Yeah, and and the trope nowadays is if, a, if someone, I suppose, has issues with romantic relationships, the classic example is a girl that maybe sleeps around or goes after fuckboys. Oh, mm-hmm. she has daddy issues. So the theory behind that, if I yeah. can articulate it as best as I can in my, uh, you know, non-expert way is she had a father that was absent Mm -hmm. didn't show her love Mm -hmm. Uh, she felt like she was always trying to win over her father's love hence why she goes after guys that are emotionally unavailable don't show her that sort of affection so she can recreate the relationship she had with her father and try to win him over and try to win his love and they would then subconsciously perceive a man who is emotionally available as stifling, potentially mm. even controlling, mm-hmm. and just wouldn't be able to develop that romantic connection with them. Exactly. You nailed it. And it can go basically one of two ways though because firstly when someone has mummy or daddy issues, it's we often think of just the absent parent, but we also have to consider that it's often – um, a neglectful parent as well, an abusive parent, or even a very like strictly overbearing parent, especially when we come to mummy issues and men. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah. So with um, with women, when they have, let's say, an absent father, like Neil said, 
they will often seek out a male that is kind of like the typical alpha male and they they want someone to look after them and and take that very like traditional male role in the relationship in basically in absence of that father figure because they're so deeply yearning for that male affection and attention but also that caregiving kind of thing to heal their own childhood traumas and and wounds or whatever um and that's why people make the comment saying that women with daddy issues are good with good at sex because they're so desperate to please and get that like validation from a male mm. that um, they were going above and beyond. However, the other side of this though is that that's, you know, some women and the other percentage of women that have, let's just daddy, I hate saying women with daddy issues, but I'm just going to say it mm. um, with daddy issues is that no man will ever meet their expectations of a man. Like men are trash. You do not like nothing you do oh. is going to fulfill my needs. No matter how much you try or simp for me, you will not be there to fulfill my needs or meet my expectations because Sounds as like a child, woman. yeah, because <laughs> as a child, I learned that my dad didn't step up. Therefore, men do not step up to the plate. Um, so that's really hard to kind of undo that learning. And like you said, that we often seek out relationships with people that remind us of our parents in a subconscious attempt to resolve that hurt resolve those wounds or resolve that trauma um or we seek out the very opposite in attempt to kind of get in balance out what we were lacking mm. so it goes one or two ways it's super interesting mm. yeah and and the exact same thing occurs with men and 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 mummy issues mm. uh if they had an overbearing mother uh, you're probably looking at guys that then become the fuckboy types. Yes. And become a bit emotionally unavailable because they see any form of emotional connection as, oh, just fuck off. Like, I don't want to have to deal with that. Yes. It's stifling, it's controlling, yes. it's restrictive. And then when, when you, there is an issue between that male and his romantic partner, he will escalate it so much because he's trying to he's projecting the the issues he had with his mother on it so for example if if i was a girl dating this guy and i said hey brad you know can you put this this cup away and then he may be more likely to explode and be like all you fucking do is nag at me you're constantly on my case like i can't stand it like you're so overbearing it's so smothering or um if the mum wasn't overbearing but he had issues in general and i was like hey the place is really messy can you clean it he'd be like you're you're controlling you're abusive like you're demanding me all the time like this these kind of intense escalations but then on the other hand when which we see as a stereotype in in ethnic families but we don't really label it as mummy issues but a man will expect his girlfriend to step up as um the the basically replaces mum and nurture him and cook and clean and do all these things and then they develop the madonna hall complex where they can't see their partner as sexually attractive because of this almost so it, it just goes down this weird rabbit hole yeah uh the other thing that could be a bit more prevalent in ethnic uh especially well when we talk about ethnic that, that just the migrant experience here where there's a lot of strictness and love can often be shown through only through achievement yes and i think i even have some elements of this where mm. uh then any little criticism within a relationship does get 
can have the tendency to get blown out of proportion because you feel like you're not living up to the standard where you're worthy of love when it could just be mm. a legitimate criticism. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm not good enough, you know. Oh, fuck, what am I doing? I've got to be better than this. I've got to work on this. I've got to go above and beyond. Um so that's also a conception of mummy slash daddy exactly. issues. I I, re- I think Esther Perel spoke about this in uh, there was one case study she was talking about in um, not the state of affairs. What's the other? A meeting in captivity, where someone grew up in a very strictly religious household, and when they were single and when they didn't have an emotional connection or a commitment with other people, they felt like they could sleep around, and it was almost quite mm-hmm. liberating for them to engage in not just necessarily totally casual sex, but casual relationships Mm. and not have super strict commitments. But then as soon as that lady got married, she lost sexual desire for the man because that is what she had sort of internally normalized as the fundamental male-female romantic relationship dynamic that this is the home is a place of uh, order and... and Mm religiosity so i feel shamed if i you know give into sexual desires to yeah yeah, this other person yeah it's much less common though mm. interestingly when that happens from um the female because it's usually the male that has that that switch very often after a woman gives birth or has a child, he fa- he fails to be able to see her as a sexual being anymore um, or sometimes even not. Like I had I had a, um, a male friend for years and he had, well, he had daddy issues mm. and he was raised by his mum who he... So he had daddy issues? Yeah. Yeah, okay. An absent dad mm. and who he had a lot of issues with and aggression towards, a lot of hurt basically. Mm. And he was raised by his mum who's, who's just a very beautiful, kind person. And so he was really... He was um he was a bit of a fuck boy when we were mates like he was charming girls left right and center dating the most beautiful women and he really really wanted some he was very appealed uh, I mean attracted to girls who were like kind of that wifey kind of like let me do this for you I'll do the washing I'll do the cleaning I want to be a stay at home wife like I don't mm. want to work I just want you to look after me that kind of he wanted to step into that traditional male role uh, which is fine so he met this girl um and who was all those qualities but then he found that basically he was all he did was was thinking about i want this as my girlfriend i want this as my wife this type of person but then when he found them he couldn't be attracted to them at all he just even no matter how sexy they were he was just like no like i, I can't I don't want to touch her. But then he would very easily go off and sleep with like the kind of, you know, slutty type. I hate to use the word slutty, but you know what I mean, stereotype. Um, the naughty girls. Yeah, the naughty girls yeah. and have no issue with that and then come back to the beautiful, wholesome girls and be like, I can't do it. So he had to work through all of that, uh, which he did eventually. But, yeah, it's That's really interesting. It certainly is, and mm. much more common than we think. Yeah, I suppose you've got this really pure image of a mother figure that then yeah. maybe comes out when you've fallen in love with someone and 
I can see why you wouldn't want to, oh, I want to, I want this person, I'm in love with them. Oh, I can't, the thought of just throwing them down and like fucking their brains yes. out is, oh no, I couldn't do that. Exactly. And he didn't want her wearing, he like was, didn't like her in lingerie and he only wanted her to be like in sex, really submissive. So if she was ever like trying to take charge, which most guys are like, yeah, hot, whatever. He would be like, no, 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 like, don't do that. Like, he'll do everything, but he wouldn't want her to kind of initiate. He wouldn't want her to contribute. He'd just want her to be this very passive, submissive type role, but it wasn't a kink type thing. Interesting, okay. Yeah, and then I had a, I I talked about, I I talked about this in our very early podcast, but I had a friend, um, and you know how I said a, a few episodes ago that I, never psychoanalyze people when they ask me like what are your thoughts on this kind of thing unless i i just don't like to share those yeah what goes on in my head when i try to read people because the one time i did it it blew up in my face so bad it basically ended a friendship but i had a mate um and she she was very obsessed with boys and she was in her 20s she'd never even kissed a boy never slept with a guy but she was she had feelings for like eight different guys oh i think you yeah i think you may have already spoken yeah about this, but keep going and um so she she had feelings for everyone she'd be like literally saying i'm so in love with this person like i'm obsessed with him and i'd be like oh why don't you go on a date with him or would you kiss him and she'd be like oh no i couldn't i could never kiss him and anyway the reason why she was really like obsessed with these kind of like nurturing guys was because her father was absent and quite cruel throughout her life so she was in love with these guys but couldn't envision ever doing anything sexual with him that thought made her cringe because she was just she didn't realize she was seeking that fatherly male validation attention and love so Uh i pointed that out to her once when she was like psychoanalyze me anyway she was like that's so fucked up like she lost (laughs) her shit at me and then a few years later she came back and she was like you were 100 percent right i just wasn't ready to hear it (laughs) yeah it's very confronting when you first start to analyze these things within yourself and then you look at the dynamic you may have had with your opposite sex parents and then you've seen that play out in your relationships and you think oh my god i mean i first uh very serious girlfriend uh after a while, I couldn't. I just couldn't do any rough sex sex with her. Uh, I was always sexually attracted to yeah. her, but I just I couldn't bear the thought of you know choking or pulling right. hair or anything like that. Yeah. I just I just couldn't do it because to me I was like, oh, you're this angel, and I just can't do <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, when we started, it was yeah. all that, but yeah. then um, I just couldn't even bear the thought of doing that. So, have you figured out like your kind of connection with you, your upbringing or parents and the type of girl that you end up in relationships with like have you kind of gone has that kind of had a ding ding moment for you I think so yeah I think so uh, I tend to go with okay so I've had a few uh exes I suppose but there's been, there's been I guess two that I've been like madly in love with and they both started off a bit casual where I wasn't even that interested and they were the ones that were a lot more interested. Mm. And then the dynamic switches a few months, which is it's very common to classic trope. And then they, and then I get a bit, I I, I don't think I get overbearing, but maybe I do. Um, I have sort of thought that maybe my the love style could be a very achievement based because mm-hmm. having a bit more of that ethnic upbringing, it was very much, I, I, 
if you do well in this test, you know, that's when you got the most affection and, and yeah. love. Um, having said that, it was nothing compared to other ethnic parents at all huh. um, or yeah. strict parents. I think I've spoken about this previously on podcast where I on the avoid and anxious scale, I'm definitely towards anxious. Mm. And I think that's because uh, my mom wasn't super affectionate. Mm. And sometimes I, I think I remember a few times in my childhood where I'd I'd ask, oh, can you give me a kiss goodnight? Can yeah. you hug me? Can you do these yeah. things? And um, so there's probably a bit more of that anxious and maybe like some slight abandonment issues there. It definitely makes sense why you're initially attracted to girls that are very casual and you're not like, they're not throwing themselves at you being like, oh, you're amazing. Let me smother you in love. Yeah, you kind of, yeah. the girls that you're ending up with are always a bit like aloof to begin with. Yeah, because then I'm like, oh, good, this is relaxing. This yeah, is not, this that is, is, that's exactly it. It's relaxing, even yeah. when it's not a good, necessarily a good or bad thing. We find it comforting because it's something we're familiar with. Yeah, might have to look into that a little bit. Hey? <laughs> You're like, shit. Yeah. Um, but it was never that sort of father-son, you know, bonding and mm. going out hunting and fishing every weekend or anything like that. But yeah. the, the, the way my dad and I connect is through really deep intellectual conversations, actually. Wow, this that's makes so much sense. Yeah, I know, yeah. That's uh, the... Biggest way we connect and wow. then we'd play when we played chess with each other. Yeah. Because we'd get, uh, he's a pretty competitive guy as well. Wow. And so I was always like, I got to beat him, I got to beat him. Oh my and God. He always talks about politics. He's very, very argumentative. I, he reminds me a lot of Jordan. That's, In wow. terms of personality, yeah. my daddy, their, their politics are diametrically opposed. Yeah. Um, but in terms of personality, and then even because, his mother gave him up when oh, not gave yeah. him up not gave him up no i shouldn't say that his mother uh had a uh, firstborn so this is in the 50 uh, the the 60s in india she's a doctor now for a woman in india wow. to be a professional in, that time. in the 60s mm. was unheard of so she's this sort of really fierce liberal feminist yes. back in the 60s in india and didn't do an arranged marriage. Wow. Did a love marriage. So she's a total <laughs> rebel. She had my dad's older brother, my uncle. Then when my dad was born, she said, no, nah, this is too much, and gave him away to, to well, his, his grandmother looked after him. Right, I see. And so then there was all this, um, I think he has, but then but then I think his I, I shouldn't I don't know if this is respectful to really go into this and and I'm sure he could be able to tell you a bit more bring him on yeah maybe <laughs> yeah but um his dad was a, not an alcoholic but your classic man's man drank right. whiskey and smoked every he died really I never met him he died in his 50s because he oh, had liver because wow. um, he just smoked and drank all the time wow. well, I don't know if that was the reason but I'm yeah. pretty sure it was a liver thing that he died from. And so he's never, he doesn't touch alcohol, doesn't uh, smoke. Yeah. He also is obsessed with um, the individual, right? So he's all about, I'm never going to control, like you, even when I was a child, like I'm not going to bring, you do what you want to do. Mm. You can make the choices you want to make. But then again, but it was so, it was a bit much because when you're a child, you need a bit of boundaries and, you know, direction, especially from a father figure, right? But mm. I understand why he was like that because 
in Indian culture, it's, well, in in middle and upper class Indian culture, it's like you have to be a doctor. You have to be. Mm. He wanted to do all these other things, but they forced him to do engineering and he, he hated it. So he's got a degree in engineering. Then he got this other degree in business and he came here. The degree wasn't recognized. He got another one. He's a very, very smart, intelligent, and educated, hardworking man. Um, But a a lot of the – that side of the family, there's all sorts of – there's a granddad there that – didn't get a son or something, a great-granddad that didn't get a son so then slept with a sex worker oh. and so there's this bastard child that's my dad's, <laughs> that's only a little bit older than my dad and tried to reconnect with my dad but then the, the, my dad's mother who's now just passed away didn't, hates him because yeah. rep- it's his betrayal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so there's all the, and then there was another, um, my my granddad, the one I never met, his mother died really young or something like that and then Aww. for 10 years didn't have a mother and then and then the father remarried right so then there was so then he, <laughs> my grandma would would always say yeah that's why he's always that's why he's like that because uh, that's why he drinks and smokes so much wow. and that's why my dad's like that it's just a, a classic like so you know it always goes down it does. generation by generation totally this is why does. this one's like that this is why this one's like that. it's just yeah it makes sense i guess with with you where it's like you felt you felt love from your dad through your kind of deep and meaningful intellectual conversations. And that's probably why you're always saying to on this podcast and to me that <laughs> you want someone that can like have these emotionally stimulating conversations and be challenged and have that back and forth kind of thing because that's probably where you learned to feel mm. love from one of your significant parents. And then with your, other, with your other mom, with your other parent, <laughs> it's kind of like that you – even though she was there for you and and a, a secure parent, you did seek out at times that kind of affection and love. So mm. maybe you are currently seeking out people that don't give you that because you're trying to resolve it. So then you yeah, want to find I someone know. that you yeah. can kind of win that over and get that affection and love from what you want. But really they're like, well, this is where I was at the beginning yeah. and this is where I'm still at. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's definitely a, a pattern. <laughs> and then each time, because it's subconscious, you meet the new person, you're like, oh, it's different this time. This person's not yes, like that person. yeah. But uh, I, I guess I've had elements where I've tried to be a fixer and, yeah. you know, um, oh, be closer to me. And, yeah, um, yeah. There's, a, there's maybe like a hint of abandonment issues there. But compared to, you know, as soon as you just hear other stories about girls with their ex-boyfriends and stuff, I don't think I'm comparatively I'm I'm fine I think. Literally every every single person in the world has a love map or blueprint basically based on the way their parents are. Like yeah. the way I pick out men is 100% comes from my, you know, upbringing as well. So mm. it's it is always interesting to figure that out because some people like my my dad was kind of similar in the sense that he wasn't wasn't affectionate um actually really similar to your dad wasn't infection affectionate and like would never say i love you but he was always there he was always really like devoted to the family and he's extremely extremely intelligent man very successful so we would always have these kind of interesting intellectual conversations but i went the other way Mm. where i'm like because he wasn't so affectionate and it was never an issue. It was never something I even observed as, I wish dad would cuddle me. It was never like that. But now all my boyfriends are or men that I'm attracted to are men that will like simp for me, like fall on their knees, showing me love and affection where it's so maybe above 
the realm of, you know, normal that I require lots of attention to feel that like, not that I ever have an issue when I don't, but it's just, I've gone the other way. I don't seek people like with my dad's affection style. I seek people the opposite where it's very obvious mm. to me. Like my love languages is words of affirmation and physical touch. <laughs> what are yours? Quality time. Uh, see, it's a mixture of everything because I feel really close to someone when they've done acts of service, when they've said compliments, when they've been vulnerable. Mm. It's just, it's not, there's not one specific thing. Look, when I really love someone, uh, gifts is something I don't just give to anyone and everyone. Right. And um, acts of service, not so much, but the, if it's a gift where uh, I've made them something or I've put in some sort of effort, mm. uh, that is an indication of, yeah. you know, I really care about you. Some people's love languages are, are completely balanced and they can be equal amongst or just one or two points different. Like I think yeah. it's like rated, each one is rated out of 15 and mine was like words of affirmation, 15 out of 15, physical touch, 15 out of 15 and everything else was zero. Like I don't care about anything else, just fucking mm. hold me and tell me I'm pretty or something. Like, <laughs> that's it. That's why I was so easily like <laughs> easily pleased. Yeah, okay. Yeah, see like I... I like that when a girl uh, is affection- physically affectionate and not just in a sexual way. Yeah. That's really nice. I find that that's great. Yeah. Um, so it's a combination of every. I, I don't think I have a specific thing where, where it really gets to me. When yeah. I say gets to me, really opens my heart up, if you will. Mm. Um, thoughtful gifts are really nice. Yeah. So, or someone recently gave me gave me a, a and if, if it's a book, I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you know me, yeah, a book about something that I am actually that would help me right now in my life. Nonfiction. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she knows. So, yeah, yeah, that really spoke to me Aww. emotionally. Um, so yeah, um, everyone's complicated, and you know this. Just analyzing the relationship you had with your parents is not going to answer everything. It's also yeah. about, well, if you had a lot of influences as a as an adolescent, what what was the dynamic with even your grandparents or your siblings uh, mm-hmm. at school? Mm-hmm. Were, you, were you bullied? Mm-hmm. Were you on top of the totem pole? Your culture, All cultural upbringing. Yeah. yeah. So I think we get in the trap of analyzing the relationship we, we had with our parents too much and then... For sure. blaming them for some problems we may have. Yeah. And look, they, like Neil Strauss said in his book, The Truth, um, chances are they did the best they could mm-hmm. with the upbringing they had. Exactly. So like I'm talking about with my grandparents, that's why my dad's the way he is. Yeah. And that's probably why I am the way I am. You know, it's it's just a never-ending cycle, really. you got to just try to work. you got to never, just be you, aware of it. You can never hit the jackpot. Like, you'll never nail it right. Like, for all I know, my kids may never be, um, may never want to get an education, may never have, you know, uh, they might struggle through life thinking they never have to work hard because I the whole time I'm like, just leave it up to the universe. What's meant to be will be. Because I was even <laughs> saying that to you before. Like, yeah. I always say that shit, so you never know. And like kids rebel. Yeah. So, so you just never know. Uh, I'll, uh, for someone was telling me on an, someone was sort of saying on another podcast, 
they knew kids who were children of hippies from the 60s. Mm. And the parents were quite neglectful. They really were committed to this total free love hippie lifestyle and the kids ended up resenting them because they felt like they couldn't live a normal childhood. And, a, um, and they rebelled yeah. by joining the army, becoming conservative, oh, wow. being, being the complete opposite. So if a kid's needs are being unmet or in, a, in a serious way, mm. I think the child will look at the overall cultural ethics of the parent and it's likely they'll rebel against that. If there's resentment. If there's yeah. resentment, yeah. Whereas if there isn't resentment and they feel it's like idolized, their needs are being yeah. met, they will try and recreate exactly. that with their kids. So yeah, it's, uh, it's fun to really look in depth at the people I know and their parents and their upbringing and try to figure out why they are the way they mm. are. And a lot of this is also just genetic. I mean, you know, I, my sisters and, and I are so different in every possible personality facet. Right. We, we look very similar, right. but we're very, very, very different. So it's not all parents, you know. Yeah. It, 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 well, literally can't be because she's so different. So It is interesting. And then it's like, is it first child or second child? Exactly. Is it the baby or the family? Yada, mm. yada, yada. Yeah, crazy. You just never know. And it, you've got to take it. accountability for who you are at the moment because, it's, like I always say, you've got to, you got to work with the cards that you're dealt with. Mm-hmm. We can't just blame whoever dealt the cards to us. You, you can choose how to play them. So take that. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's a, that's a quite a thorough summary of uh, mommy and daddy issues. I know. Yeah, you're welcome, Jesse. <laughs> Was that his name? Her yeah, name? Je- 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 he said that so. <laughs> so aggressively. Yeah. Gosh. Welcome, Jesse. Projecting my inner child wound, clearly. Yeah, um, yeah. So if people don't know about what an inner, inner child is, essentially when when people in this world talk about it, they're referring to the, the child that you were when maybe their needs were left unmet and in very stressful situations, namely in relationships, mm. that inner child can then come out. And so when we're in a real state of distress and we're going through someone's phone, you're like, you're cheating on me or like, you, you know, you're, mm. you're going to leave me while you're leaving me. That is your inner child coming out. Yes. You're not being your rational adult self for whatever reason, uh, your cortisol levels or whatever have mm. peaked and you are reverting back to a childlike state. And what, what I suppose was, uh, the dynamic you may have had in stressful situations with your parents. And I think I've really, I think when I was younger, I tried to sort of control that part of me and, and, and think, Oh, I hope that side never comes out. But if you don't, if you put things in place to ensure that there isn't a huge amount of distress in relationships and there aren't really big stressful fights, then that inner child, Mm. the bad parts of that inner child won't really exactly come out. So you've got to try to not get to that point where mm. it's, I mean, all relationships will have a, a stressful times. It's foolish to think otherwise. Well, hopefully not, but, you know, you're kidding yourself. Um, but you could, I think you should also be understanding if in a stressful situation in a relationship, someone says something, you know, someone lashes out at you or someone really says something that upsets you and, destroys yeah. you and makes you feel like 
they hate you. Don't try not to think of them as a bad person. Try to sort of understand that, well, the situation is what's causing this inner Mm. child to come out and that's not who they really are. That's who Mm. they are in a very stressful situation. Yeah, so true. I actually know people that are close to me who when they are, you know, going through something or having an anxiety attack or something's going on, they literally see them like memories or visions of themselves flashing up in their mind of them as a child. So inner child work is literally grasping onto that moment or even doing it in a peaceful moment and talking to yourself as though you're a child and saying or as though you yourself as a child are standing in front of you and being like it's okay you're going to be okay you're safe I know you went through this or whatever and that that can be really healing for people and when I what do you reckon it's confronting to because if you even just look at YouTube and and do your inner child guided meditation yeah you will cry well, do you know as <laughs> you will cry, what's okay. interesting about just, this just though is I did a um one of the things I studied was like a a a master prac of of life coaching uh-huh. and I did a two year thing on it and a lot of it was that you do the life coaching part but then you you learn all about the alternative therapy styles which mm. in that point in my early twenties I was interested because I just finished a degree in counseling and behavioral science and I wanted to see like what's the other side kind of thing. So you, we learned things like hip, hypnosis, oh, right. NLP, NLP yeah, yeah, yeah. matrix therapies, multiple brain integration and timeline therapy. And one of them was um, this this kind of three-week thing we had to do where we go in every day and it was that inner child wound healing. And the way that you access it is, you know, you think about things that come up, you kind of go through like a semi-hypnosis state where you're having to answer so instantly and so fast so that whatever is coming to your forefront is the memory you pull out and work with or whatever. And then the idea is that physically throughout the room, you put like little points down every meter or something and it's you stepping back into time, meaning towards your inner child and watching it being done so I was the practitioner of it for a lot of people in the class um and walking people through it was like so wild to me because they were sobbing and I've never seen people melt down this much like sobbing and I remember one woman like she was two feet away from the final kind of step that she had to take and she she was like I can't move my legs she was like shaking she cl- people were collapsing on the ground and I was like what is this like voodoo magic it have was wild yeah and so did you have that reaction well what was interesting is because I had started for the first week I was the one that they had there was the, the two coaches I guess and then I yeah. was doing it for people so I'd done it for like eight or nine people, I think, um, and seeing them all go through this amazing life-changing moment. And then they said afterwards, like, I've never felt like this. I'm on a high. And then three months later, they were still saying, like, it healed me. So when it was my turn the last day, I was super excited thinking I'm going to have, like, some life-changing moment. But then it came down to I couldn't think of these memories that had stuck with me or things in my childhood that I had found difficult nothing was coming forefront like yeah obviously there were things that in my childhood that I found distressing but it wasn't something that I had any kind of emotional hold with currently and it was really hard for me to decipher was there a barrier I was putting in place or had I already 
resolved this. So or maybe you just had a great job. Well, this know, is what's interesting like is you that had a buffet every day. <laughs> what is yeah. <laughs> what's interesting about this though, because later on, um, a year or so later in one of my jobs I talked about this um before, but in when you work in therapy related fields, you have to get something called supervision, which is usually essentially it's a superior psychologist, therapist or whatever that you check in with every month um, to say what what have you carried on? Like what have you picked up from your clients? What's impacting you or whatever? And I was meeting with this clinical psych once a month as everyone on my team has to do. And every time I met with him, he'd be like, what's going on for you? I'm like, nothing. It's fine. Like everything's been cruisy. Work's good. Home's good. Everything's fine kind of thing. And he, after a few months, he kind of got me to do all these um, personality testing things. He was yeah. getting all these Q&As or whatever. And basically what he told me is that, and he was asking about like my childhood experiences and I'd be like, oh, it was good. I was so lucky, blessed, whatever. And what I kind of had learned from him was that every single person, well, not every person, most people, let's say 80% of people are dealt with the same amount of shit things in life Mm. and shitty experiences. And then you have the 20% that have like real trauma and fucked up things happening to them. But for 80% of us, we have the exact same amount of shitty things happen to us. And some people will look back on their childhood and think like, I struggled so much. I had so much pain and unhappiness. And then other people, I guess with like me had a more of like this, a positive view where I only could remember good things and I couldn't recall negative things that happened because I kind of have like a positive outlook or positivity bias which is much much more uncommon for for most people we have a a negativity bias because that's like a survival mechanism to understand and perceive threats so it was interesting for me because I thought did I really have a blessed life where nothing has happened to me and then a few weeks later I'd gone to this course in New South Wales or training sorry and it was basically on how to deal with clients when they are like threatening you or abusing you or pulling a knife on you or whatever and how to react to that and so we had to do like a disclosure of our experiences and then out of the hundreds of people my my disclosure letter was brought up because I had experienced in my workplace the um, most amount of violent occurrences from clients far 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 beyond anyone else that had been working but if for me, I hadn't even realized like, oh, so many crazy things happen at work and so many like I'm getting punched all the time and this like it just wasn't something that I was recalling. So mm. anyway, the moral of the story is that some people this kind of therapy may not work on because you may not feel that you have things to resolve, whether it be because you have barriers or because you've already dealt with it in your own way. Yeah. And But it was interesting, very interesting learning mm. experience. I think if you've had... If you haven't been lucky, let's say that, in relationships, yeah. it, it's worth uh, looking into the dynamic you may have had with an opposite sex parent yeah. and reading a few books and seeing if there's some sort of therapy or practices that you can undertake to, you'll never fully heal from these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. If we've subconsciously internalized this, it's, it'll always be there, but being aware of it is yeah, is important. That's it. Even if it's not even like, what was my upbringing with parents? Like, like, how do I perceive the world? Like, what kind of thoughts do I have going through my head? 
most of the day. And my like for me personally, I don't actually have that many thoughts other than here or there. I'll be like, oh, this is cute or that's a nice dog, whatever. Um, not because I'm simple minded, it's just because I have a chill mind. Whereas I remember like years ago when I was dating my boyfriend, he was like, I, how? Like, I don't get that. Yeah, I, don't I have a million <laughs> thoughts a minute. Like that doesn't I can't even comprehend it. Yeah, so just, wow. And he was saying that his, for him, even though he's a seems like a happy person, most of his thoughts were like, oh, this fucking person's in my way. Like, move out of the way, dickhead. Like, he was thinking negative things even though he's a lovely person. Uh, but that was his kind of the way he perceived and his initial thoughts. And that's why I always say never judge yourself on the first thought. Judge yourself on your second thought. Yeah, Jordan and I did a podcast on internal dialogue and – it's, oh, really? it's shocking to yeah. me that some people don't have inner dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's obscene <laughs> because I've got a constant thought track going on. That first question we answered on this podcast, the guy who was, what was it, Randy, who mm. uh, had a crush on a co-worker. Yeah. When he sent that big long essay, I was like, yeah, yeah, that guy has a mind yeah. like mine. Yeah. How he's overthinking. Well, some wouldn't say that's overthinking. Some would say that's normal. He's just mm. analyzing every possible factor and angle of the situation. That's that's very similar to my mind. Yeah. 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 Super interesting. Yeah. So. You know, every time you do this click, it scares me because I just watched the movie Hereditary and she, have you seen it? And she's got the so. really like odd girl and she does this like, she's very creepy and she just every so often goes. The one where the girl's head. Yeah. 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 And you do yeah. it. <laughs> she says it got dark as well. Yeah. Daylight savings over. If anyone has watched that movie and has TikTok, look up that girl because it's very odd now. She's all like sexy and like. The one that got decapitated. Yeah, it's so odd. Watch, I'll show you afterwards. You'll be so disturbed. Ooh, but go ahead. I don't know if I would. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Keep sharing this podcast. I've been getting messages about people sharing it and how the people they've shared it to have really enjoyed it. So share it around. Share it to the person you're seeing or someone you may be interested in to your friends. And subscribe and follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Subscribe on YouTube if you haven't. And we will see you next time. See ya.